With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Kings are the Kings. He wins it back to Foley. Scores! No way! No way! With no time remaining. Great pass from Dowdy down. Wagner down the middle, scores! First career goal, Austin Wagner. Here's Luff looking for his first, scores! Matt Luff, first NHL goal, and the Kings have the lead. What's Luff got to do with it? Welcome to Crown Conversations. I am joined by Kate Rice, Managing Editor of Fellow SBN Sister Blog on the Forchat. Thanks for joining me today, Kate. Thanks for having me, Robin. So, the Predators, they are an enigma wrapped in a conundrum. <laughs> that is more or less what has been happening in their defensive zone, at least. Well, I call it an enigma wrapped in a conundrum. The uh Goalies are probably doing a little more yelling than that. <laughs> the, the Predators, I, I never quite know what to expect from them. Um, this season, they have been, they've definitely started off with a lot more offense than we're used to seeing. Um, so you you can probably expect a number of goals. Um However, you can probably expect that number of goals at both ends of the ice. Um, the offense has been very exciting. The defense has also been exciting. Um, <laughs> the the D zone coverage, I mean, it's it's early yet, but they've been allowing a few more ideal chances than I would really like to see. Um, and if the goalies are having an off night, that is going to result in a lot of goals. Um, their their Thursday night game against the Capitals ended as a uh, 6-5 victory, um, which was definitely not not the uh, not the Predators of you know five years ago. Well, um, LaViolette was brought in to fix their offense. Didn't he do that? Um, <laughs> that's, I, I feel like a little more of the uh, offensive surge right now is due to roster changes since five years ago. In particular, the one that everyone is uh, talking about was the signing this summer of Matt Duchesne, who has, um, 
eight points over the team's first four games. There are two scoring lines this year, which is very exciting. Ooh. And uh, new, different, intriguing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Philip Forsberg, who I... Uh. uh, Yes. I suspect most people have heard of him. A few. He's been been, uh, moved off the quote-unquote top line uh, down to Duchesne's wing and he has scored in every game so far this season um, so that's that's nice to see he's uh, he's tended to be a little bit insofar as streakiness is a thing Forsberg has tended to be a pretty streaky scorer so who knows how long that'll last but I will definitely take it while he's doing it so far, he's on pace for a minimum of 82 points. So, you know. Uh, 82 goals. I think he's got a couple of assists in there as well. So oh. so 82 goals and 82 assists or maybe 40 assists. So 120 points. 40, yeah. We're, we're definitely looking at that 120-point season from Forsberg with some confident anticipation. Definitely happening. We believe. He will definitely challenge McDavid for MVP, scoring title, and whatever else McDavid is nominated for. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I want to talk about Pecorine, because he was good, then he sucked, now he's good again. What is going on? Um, Well, he had had a couple bad years in there with a... um hip replacement well first an injury that required an off-season hip replacement and then an infection from the hip replacement um so not not all of the bad years were healthy (laughs) when he's when he's been healthy he's been pretty solid um but the the last couple of years actually he's been doing better relative to what he's got in front of him than he has pretty much ever before um so it's you know it's it's great that he got that Vezina um and it's you know it's also I think more deserved the year that he won it than it was some of the previous years that he'd been a finalist um where he was benefiting. I mean, you know, he was he was doing very well. He was putting up good final numbers, but he was also benefiting from a really solid, well-structured, low-risk defense in front of him. And the um, the past couple of years, he's been doing pretty well in a uh, much more challenging kind of work environment. Um, this past this season so far, he's played in three of the Preds' four games. Um, UC Saros started the uh, the Preds' only loss of the season, and it wasn't great, uh, which is concerning to me. Not because I think that it means that Saros is bad, because you know goalies goalies have off nights; they're allowed to have off nights. Um, I, I don't think it's reflective of Saros's true ability as a player. But I do think, I mean, Pekka Rene turns 37 in November. He's not young. No. 
and he needs to be allowed to have a night off every so often. And it really seems like every time, it, it really feels like every time that uh, Saros has a bad game, he doesn't get more games. And I mean, he's he's young, he's learning. The only way that he's going to learn is to get ice time. Um, and in the meantime, it means that the, uh, you know, 37-year-old Rene is starting over and over and over. And, you know, again, it's early yet. So maybe, maybe I'm overreacting. It's been four games. <laughs> Um, but there were, there were a couple of solid, I mean, I don't, looking at the way that the Sharks started the season, I don't know if performing successfully against them is necessarily <laughs> the most, and I, I don't say that, well, I mean, this is, this is a Kings podcast. I probably could say that to insult the Sharks, but I just, I mean, they, they did, they started off not scoring goals. That's, that's just a fact. Um, and then they remembered how to score them against the Chicago Blackhawks, and we're all very happy about it. But the um, that six-five win against Washington definitely uh, did a few things to Rene's uh, save percentage for the year, it being a short year so far. So it will. If I had to guess right now, I'd say it is more likely going to be. Uh, Rene, who we see in goal um, next game. And I don't, you know, I don't know. It'll it'll depend. Um, I'm hoping that he will uh, do better than he did on Thursday. That would that would be my preference. I don't really like the the six five thing. That's not it's very exciting, but it stresses me out. <laughs> so We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, getting into a run and gun game, uh, I don't know whose team it would benefit more. Uh, LA has some kids coming up through their system, and they look like they are on the up and up. So maybe giving them more ice time would be good. But who knows? Todd McClellan is a little bit old school sometimes, and he might be like, "Whoa, whoa, six five. I don't like this." Then again, the Kings got into a six-five skirmish with the uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, and they lost that game. So maybe six-five is uh, not the way to go. <laughs> um. So the power play, the Kings PK this year and last year sucks. Uh, I don't like it but the Predators' power play has haunted them throughout the years, except, of course, when they come to Los Angeles, in which case then the Predators' power play looks very dangerous. Well, I mean, I will say that it has looked, the Preds' power play has looked slightly better this year than it has in previous years, um, in that they are actually scoring goals on it which is extremely exciting. Um, they have three so far this season, which I feel like is about as many as they had all last season, even though I know that that can't actually be true. They must have scored more than three goals on the power play last season. Um, I do know there was one month last season where they had as many goals on the power play as they did on the penalty kill. 
as in shorthanded. But so as in like zero or as in they scored in, a bunch shorthanded? I think they had I think it was like three shorthanded goals and three power play goals. Wow. Yeah. It was it was a little bit of a trial <laughs> to watch. Um Oh, it looks like they actually managed to score 33 entire power play goals last year. That's very exciting. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't believe it, but it's exciting. Um, so this year, the power play is doing a little bit better. Um, they have actually not decided to put two defenders on the first power play unit. Um, the first po power play unit looks great. Um, it hasn't necessarily always been successful, but it looks pretty good. The second power play unit is a third line and a defense pairing. Um, and for some strange reason, it keeps getting ice time. But that has that has long been a struggle with the Predators' second power play unit. So it is what it is. As long as the first one looks good, that's better than they've been doing. I know it's only been four games, but has Matt Duchesne changed the Predators' power play outlook at all? Uh, well, he's on that successful first unit, um, so it's been it's been going pretty well there. They also got a new coach over the summer, or assistant coach, uh, for the power play, and I think that that has also helped because it seems like for a for a long time, you know, obviously back when they had Shea Weber, the strategy was always just pass to Weber and let him shoot through everyone between him and the goal. And it worked tolerably well, actually. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it would, but it did. Um, but then of course they traded Weber and nobody else really had that or has that absolute cannon of a shot. So the, the strategy of just get it to someone at the point and let them shoot didn't really work as well because you didn't have people actually getting out of the way. Um, so for a while, the strategy was just really reliant on someone who wasn't even on the team anymore. It was, it had been built for that person. Um, and it's, it's not really an optimal power play strategy, but it was, it was approximately functional while Weber was on the team and then he left and it stopped even approximating functionality um so for the the past couple of seasons once everyone finally got it through their heads that Weber was gone um it was pretty much just you know pass 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 oh look we're out of time to take a shot <laughs> um just a, a whole bunch of jumbled not not really thinking about it obviously you don't want to be shooting just randomly on the power play but you want to pass to draw the the penalty killers out of position to get the goalie off balance and then you shoot and it wasn't it wasn't really that strategic um there was a lot of passing but not a lot of drawing the penalty kill and the goalie out of position so they've been they've been doing a little bit better with that this season. Um, some of it might be the uh, the new assistant coach. Some of it might be Matt Duchesne. Um, I did I noticed that um, a couple of seasons ago when the Predators traded for Kyle Turris, he had about a month of looking fantastic on the second line. Um, 
you know, it was great. It was dangerous. There were two scoring lines. It was so exciting. We had two legitimate centers. We got to watch two legitimate centers out there making plays. And then I, I, I suspect that what happened was that Turris got whatever it was that he was doing coached out of him to fit in with the system because that stopped happening. So some some of whatever's happening, you know, it, it didn't happen to Ryan Johansson. Um, so maybe it won't happen to Matt Duchesne. But, you know, I think some of it might be that he's there and he's brought, you know, whatever it was that he was doing in Colorado, in Ottawa, in Columbus, whatever systems, whatever techniques, whatever ideas that he had. Um, which are helping create a space and allowing his teammates to um, contribute more effectively. Um, and if if that can keep up, that would be great. I would love to uh, to see it continue. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely think that that's probably part of what's happening. That he is he is definitely out there making some plays. That is absolutely happening. So the Predators, they have, um, I mean, on paper, it looks like a pretty deep team, at least defensively. And you got some big stars. Who would you say has been somebody who kind of flies under the radar? Um, I, you know, the answer that I really want to give is Matthias Ekholm. But I feel like he's probably in that place where you can't say he's underrated anymore because everybody's talking about how underrated he is. And I'm not sure how how many everybody's is everybody. So if by any chance he has been flying under the radar out in California, um, definitely keep an eye on Ekholm. He's fantastic defensively. He's surprisingly good offensively. Um, and he is probably on the best contract in the league right now. I mean, definitely the best contract in the league that someone not named Steve Eiserman gave out. <laughs> um, but let's see. Other than Ekholm, I think... Hmm. Uh, what do you think about Arvidsson? Because I've heard a lot about him, but I don't know if it's just the fact that he is, you know, he's Swedish, so he's a little bit um, I don't want to say exotic, but you know, you know, Europeans. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I I hadn't really been thinking about Arvidsson as flying under the radar. He actually managed to surpass the three previous franchise goal scoring record last season. Oh. Um, so to to my mind, he was. I mean, the previous franchise goal scoring record was thirty three. Um, it's it's very sad. <laughs> um, the current franchise goal scoring record is 34. Um, so, you know, to, to my mind, Arvidsson had made the radar. Um, his, his first season, he was under it a bit. And he was, you know, at the time, three years ago, I would have said, yeah, keep an eye on Arvidsson. Um, because he was doing, he was doing all the things correctly. He was shooting all the time. Um, he was helping drive play. He was always making things happen, generally good things, when he was on the ice. Um, so, you know, 
several years ago, it would have been, yeah, that kid, he's underrated. And now he's, you know, an absolutely critical part of the Preds offense. And it, it never even occurred to me that there there might be people who hadn't. It's It's always tricky figuring out who on your team is underrated and who who everyone already knows about. Um, but yeah, if if you have not heard about Victor Arvidsson, I would definitely recommend uh, keeping an eye out. I just feel like he doesn't get quite as much press as, you know, Johansson and Art and um, Forsberg and, and of course now Duchesne is, has come in. So I, I just kind of feel like he's, he flies a little bit under the radar just because he's not quite as, mm, I don't want to say popular, but he's just not quite as talked about as hmm. as the other guys, really. Yeah, I think a lot of it is that Arvidsson's style is really just more, you know, he shows up, he takes shots at goal. That is what he wants to do. That is what he was put on this earth to do. He's he's kind of like a, um, a less successful Alexander Ovechkin. Um, <laughs> Which like I don't I don't mean that as a, an insult to Arvidsson at all, but you know it's not he's not making you know particularly spectacular passes. He's not what he's doing is he's shooting the puck because he wants to score goals, and you know occasionally there will be a, a really highlight reel kind of goal, but for the most part he's just you know showing up and doing the work, and. So it's easier to to spotlight people like Johansson and Forsberg and Duchesne who are making, you know, really spectacular plays, fancy footwork, superb passes, trying. One of these days, Forsberg is actually going to manage to um, flip the puck into the net while carrying it on his stick. But he hasn't done it yet. He keeps trying in actual game situations. And it's, you know, I believe he's going to do it. But, you know, Arvidsson isn't really, he's not doing anything that fancy. Um, speaking of things Forsberg has actually done in actual game situations, he's uh, scored by shooting the puck between his own legs a couple of times. And, you know, of course, that's going to make highlight reels. That's That's impressive. It's not... And I mean, it's great to watch as a Preds fan. I, it's it's really exciting to have players like that or who make the kind of passes that Johansson just casually goes, oh yeah, I can do that, and then does it. Um, but you know, it's it's not. It does mean that the players who aren't as um, flashy about it you know, maybe do get overlooked. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel that way. Um, so games between the Preds and the Kings, they are typically low-scoring, very tight chess match-type games. Both these teams have decided, yes, let's pour on the offense early <laughs> this year. Let's do run and gun. That's fun. <laughs> Any uh, any predictions about what's what what we're gonna see in this game? Um, probably the tightest eight seven game we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't really. You're right that they always seem to be really really close games. Um, so I'm not 
<laughs> I'm not sure that it's necessarily, I don't think that that's necessarily going to change. Um, but it definitely, it does seem like both teams have been having some, uh, having some fun with the offense or potentially not fun with the offense. Um, and I, I do think that it's going to be one of those situations where it's, wow, they scored that many goals and they still lost. And I think <laughs> there was, there was a couple of years ago, wasn't there a, a Preds Kings game that ended something like six, five in overtime? something it was it was definitely a uh very neither goalie had a good night so we might see something like that again it seems that whenever the the preds come to town neither goalie either either both goalies are just like completely outstanding or jonathan quick has a meltdown and lets in like every goal from the blue line that's what it feels like at least that might not be 100% accurate, and maybe that's a little harsh towards Jonathan Quick, but that's just how it feels like. Well, I mean, the Preds still enjoy taking shots from the blue line, so it. I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'd like to discourage Jonathan Quick from letting them all in, because that's going to teach the Preds that they can keep doing that, and they don't need the reinforcements. I mean, it's early. Maybe Lavi can uh, teach them, hey, just because it worked in this game because the goalie sucked doesn't mean you can keep doing that. Uh, I mean, it's been... How many years has he been here? Five? It's been something <laughs> like five years and he hasn't trained them out of it yet. So I feel like I feel like it's probably a vain hope. At this point, who knows if they'll even uh, manage to break that habit ever. Yeah. All right, well, do you want to plug your social media? Uh, sure. You can find me at Stats with Kate on Twitter, um, which is no, no fancy spellings on that, just Stats with Kate, no underscores or anything either. Just all one word. Um, and you can find On The Forecheck at On The Forecheck on Twitter or on thefourcheck.com. Um, we'll be having uh, game coverage and a live thread. Um, if you'd like to swing by the live thread, you're welcome to, as long as you uh, don't just turn up and start yelling insults. But I'm sure that wouldn't happen. We, no, we do welcome. Are... Yeah. <laughs> our friends we are pretty welcome. good on, on JFTC. That's good. Yeah, ours All are right. pretty good, too. <laughs> That's good. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this will probably go up early tomorrow hopefully all right thanks for having me hello and welcome back to crown conversations today i'd like to introduce our newest writer dimitri herrera welcome dimitri thank you robin how's it going guys good to be here we are very excited to have a, another voice another opinion that's not just me and Sarah. Although me and Sarah are great, but I'm sure you guys are a little bit tired of us just being so random and weird throughout all of our podcasts. Oh, come on. You guys are fantastic. I'm sure everyone loves you, too. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so, Dimitri, the Kings are bad. They are one for three. Well, okay, so their record is officially 102. Uh, in their first three games of the season. They 
have looked competent, in my opinion, for about 30 minutes in 180 minutes. Any thoughts on what you've seen in the first three games? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of a... It's all been kind of a little bit of a reality shock somewhat. Um, I think... It, there was a lot of hype coming into the off season and there was a lot of, uh, you know, talk about some of the young guys coming up and, and doing some great things for the Kings. But obviously when you have, you know, several players every night who are right around 22 years old, don't have too much experience in, you know, playing NHL level games, you're bound to have some sort of regression. And obviously we got the worst run of it in Vancouver, especially that third period. I'm still trying to recover personally, but I mean, um, that's kind of what you expect. Um, or at least it's what I came into the season expecting. And I feel like fans should kind of, you know, t- month last season where they had as many goals on the power play as they did on the penalty kill. That's fair. To be honest, I did expect them to be bad. It's this whole very bipolar way that they're playing where they're either very hot or they're very cold. I think for at least me personally, that's the most frustrating part. They score five goals in Edmonton, but give up six. They score three goals in Calgary. That um, a couple of seasons ago when the Predators traded for Kyle Turo. A a big part of that is probably some of that inexperience that I was talking about earlier. Um, I mean, that's going to come back and bite them throughout the whole season. But the Kings are also in a unique position that whether or not they they play well or they play poorly, you know, they're going to be poised to have some something good coming out of the end of the season. Right. If they play poorly, I mean, obviously the fans aren't going to be super excited, but they're getting used to a new system under a new coach who's only had, you know, several months to try and implement some of that. Obviously, some young players are again coming through uh, the system right now. And if that ends up being a high draft pick later on in the year, then so be it. If it doesn't, then the Kings get to enjoy some more exciting play. But I think uh, the high scoring, just new face of the Kings is is something exciting to say the least, regardless of what the outcome was or what the score lines were. Is it too early to start the hashtag lose for Lafreniere? I think it's a little too early to 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 start the hashtag um just because we, you know it's only 3 games in and I think as you know individuals as fans or as media members or whatever you want to call us we kind of tend to have uh a little we're a little bit too critical of a view this early on in the season again we're only what 3 games in and we still have two home games that are going to be coming up against some strong opponents so we'll start to get a little bit more I, I don't want to say anything until there's about you know 10 games under the belt 12 games under the belt some somewhere along that line uh you mentioned a couple of you mentioned that the kings have some new faces and one of those new faces is the very surprising 18 year old patrolling the blue line our swede tobias bjornfoot what have OB. you thought what did you think of his game so far um, I think he's been a little quiet and I think in a good way, he's been a little quiet. Uh, I, I would say, I mean, it, it doesn't look like he's, he's put up any points in three games. He's a negative four, which I mean, he's not playing on, you know, with, with the greatest, uh, D partners. I mean, he is playing with Dowdy oftentimes. Um, but he also didn't really play too much in that game where McDermott took a lot of his minutes. Uh, I think he's been playing well. 
Um, I don't expect him to be playing past that 10 game mark uh, from what I've seen so far. They are an enigma wrapped in a conundrum. <laughs> that is Sweden. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. I think he's playing pretty decently for, you know, being an 18 year old. You can only ask so much for someone that young playing in his first, you know, level of NHL competition. Yeah, he's actually, I don't, personally, I don't hate any of his game. I think he's, yes, he's made a few mistakes, but in Calgary especially, he was great on the penalty kill. I was very surprised. Well, okay, he was great in the first 30 minutes when the rest of the team was clicking. Um, But I actually didn't think he was really that bad even in the last 30 minutes. I... I honestly did not watch much of the Vancouver game. I had the flu, so I came home from work. I took a nap, missed for half the first period, and then I went to bed early after they were getting routed in the third period. Yeah, that was a tough one to stomach. Uh, You know, after the first six or seven goals, it was kind of that (laughs) turn the TV off. This feels like last year sort of feeling, and you know, no one ever wants to kind of feel that, especially as a Kings uh, fan base. But uh, again, like I said, I, I feel like that's kind of a byproduct of the new system. It's kind of the growing pains. Um, obviously, Kings fans probably aren't super familiar or super accustomed to these high-scoring games. And, it, you know, they, they're kind of coming out of, not out of nowhere, obviously, based on this new system. I think that uh, Todd McClellan, is, head coach Todd McClellan, has put in place obviously kind of allows for a little bit more freedom in the offensive zone, allows uh, players like, you know, uh, Kovalchuk and and uh, Brown and Carter to kind of make some more movements and kind of use a little bit more of that offensive zone instead of just dumping the puck in time after time under Willie. But um, I think part of that plays into these growing pains. It's like these players obviously have to make some sorts of adjustment to try and figure out what exactly they're going to look like. Now, their character issues, I think, from last season are starting to take a turn for the better. It's obviously super nice to see guys like Dowdy have have such a fun... I mean, that celebration after the OT winner in, in Calgary, come on, right? You know, you love seeing stuff like that. So I think those character issues are, are taking a change. But also with this new system change, it's, it's kind of part of those growing pains that, um you know, maybe fans aren't used to seeing because we've been so defensively minded for the past several years or pretty much for forever, basically. That goal scoring celebration, I was of two minds. One part of me loved it and reveled in the joy that, you know, screw Calgary. Um, But the other part of me was like, okay, calm down, buddy. This is not the Stanley cup final. It is game two. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was just a, a personal slight. Maybe on Kachuk uh, for Drew and, and the fans in Calgary. But, you know, it, other than that, I love seeing that toothless smile, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of uh, other Kings fans uh, love seeing that as well. Also, seeing Drew in the top five for scoring isn't too bad, right underneath Kobe. Uh, he's got four points. He's tied with Kovalchuk right now. So that's also not something bad, and you, and you love to see that, obviously. Kovalchuk, um, what do you make of him? There's... Good times, and then there's bad times. When the good times are good, you know, you look at him and go, okay, it's not so bad. We can live with him for another two years at a $6 million cap hit. But when it's bad, it is real bad. He looks listless. He looks confused. 
he looks like he does not know how to play in North America. Yeah, um, I've got kind of the mixed feelings about him as well. Um, when he's on, man, he's definitely on, and and you, I mean, it's it's enjoyable to watch kind of him work his own craft and his own unique way of playing. You know, he's so obviously such an offensively gifted player, um, but he's still having a tough time. I feel like kind of clicking with the rest of his line. I think it's going to take a little bit more time. And I mean, the jury's still out a little bit. He's getting obviously a lot more usage in a, in a better role under, um, under McClellan. Obviously he's playing a lot on that second line role with um, Carter and Kempe. And so I think he's just going to, it's just going to take a little bit of time for all of those, those three to kind of get used to each other for us to really start seeing what Kovalchuk is actually going to look like. Is it Kovalchuk or is it the line? Because, I mean, I feel like on the one hand, you can say, yes, it's it's his line mates. He's not really clicking. But on the other hand, he's had a year plus to get to know his teammates. And really, he kind of played all over the lineup last year. So, I mean, he's kind of the consistent factor here. Yeah, I guess that is a pretty good question. I, I would say that it's still the line only in the sense that he's kind of getting adjusted to the new system like everyone else. Obviously, it's not going to come or click for the same players at the same time or the same moment. And Kobe's pretty unique. I'm sure it's going to be it's difficult for the rest of his linemates to kind of try and gauge where he's at on the ice sometimes. You know, he's kind of buzzing around quite a bit. Um but I mean that that can work in, in both favorably for against uh, opposing defenses, and sometimes it can be a little difficult for teammates trying to adjust to them. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess we should probably give him more of a break than perhaps the last. Just throw out last year and and see if if he can produce this year. Otherwise, hopefully, he can become some. Somebody wants him at the trade deadline, right? Hopefully. Right. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is that you think it's more the individual not not clicking with the line, not the line itself. It's hard to say because last year, the line of Kempe, Grundstrom, and Toffoli, albeit in a very small sample size of like 10 or 12 games, they yeah. really showed that they had a lot of potential because that line actually was positive in the fact that they uh, kept shots against down and they actually generated uh, shot attempts for and um, scoring chances for the Kings. So I really liked them and I was really hoping that Todd McClellan or T-Mac as I affectionately call him on Twitter, I <laughs> was really hoping that uh, T-Mac would really keep them together. And I know it's early. We've only been here for three games. So it's too early to panic or anything yet. But at the same time, it feels like half the team is like a little bit lost. So I feel like the first line is great. The fourth line, I don't want to, you know, cut my eyes out with a rusty spork watching them play. I feel like the, the line of Clifford and Matteo and Lewis is great. But then it's just kind of, Kempe, Carter, Kovalchuk, I don't, they kind of seem like they've never met each other at times. Yeah, and I think I can agree with that. You can kind of see that in the way that they're playing off of each other. 
Um, I know it's it's got to be a little tough to try and figure that out, especially under that new system. Um, uh, and I think only time kind of will tell what's going to become of that line. I feel like they maybe have like two, maybe three more games together before T-Max starts pulling things apart, maybe throwing some new players in. Who knows, you know, switching some things around to fully might be due for a move up the line. Um, obviously, he's been playing really, I think he's been playing really well at the beginning of the season. We're only three games in, you know, so I have to kind of temper my expectations for him a little bit. But he's been playing, you know, really well. He had two goals in his last two games, and he's been clicking, I think, really well on that third line, driving some of that secondary tertiary scoring. Um, so who knows, he may move back into that, you know, second, second line spot and, Maybe things will start to click there. Kobe moves down. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's hard to be patient, but <laughs> based on their schedule, I think we're going to see a lot more of the Kings coming up real quick because they have another set of back-to-back games this weekend. And then it's like every other day for the next, I think, week is a game. So it this schedule's like really weird. Yeah. So they have a back to back and then every other day through the nineteenth, when they see Calgary again, they have games. They have a two day break, and then it's every other day with another back to back on the twenty sixth. So there's a lot of Kings hockey to be played in the month of October. Oh yeah. There's gonna be a decent amount of games, some serious competitors moving forward as well. Obviously, we got Vegas here on the 13th, and before that, we have Nashville. So those will be some fun games to catch. Um, definitely going to test us a little bit more than, you know, the likes of Vancouver or um, Edmonton. Uh, but I think still that there's going to be, I think those games on those high high competitive teams are going to kind of make or break what the rest of the season is going to look like. I think T-Mac is going to get a better look at kind of what, this team is made out of and we're going to, we as fans are going to see sort of what this team is really kind of made out of. Yeah. They're, they're metal M E T T L E not M E T A L. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're metal will, will definitely be tested this in these next really two and a half weeks here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, I think one of the things that uh, people really need to key in on is this blue line. Uh, it's just been, it, it, it's, it's making me scratch my head quite a bit. Um, <laughs> you have players like uh, Sean Walker who are kind of taking a step up, and I think he's played really well over these past three games, not just because he has those two goals, but I think defensively he's very poised on the puck. He knows when to attack a puck handler. He's pretty much in the right place at at, at the right times. He's a plus four. I think he's that's the highest plus minus on the team. Um, and I think he's really been a bright spot for that blue line. And then you have guy, and it's hard for me to not talk about Sean or to talk about Sean Walker and not talk about his cohort from Ontario. And um, they're so similar in age and, and when they came up to play for the Kings, obviously Matt Roy, who I think hasn't shown quite as much promise. And I'm curious as to how long we'll see him in that spot with Martinez. Yeah, I I feel like Matt Roy hasn't quite taken that step forward yet to become a full-time NHL defenseman. However, I feel like if they send Bjornfoot back to Sweden, where I think 
at this stage, I think that's a really good move. We will see in the next six games how he does. But if they send Bjornfoot back to Sweden, I think that's a real opportunity there for Matt Roy to really kind of step up and take the reins and really show that he can be that consistent NHL defenseman. Because, I mean, his competition is Joachim Ryan and Curtis McDermott. And if they both decided to be waived, you know, I wouldn't cry. Yeah, um, it'd be hard to shed tears uh, uh, for for that level of talent. Not to say that they're um, untalented, but I mean, Curtis McDermott, obviously he brings, he's a little bit more one-dimensional. And I feel like if you've seen the Kings or if you've seen Curtis McDermott, who I call K-Mac, by the way, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, if K-Mac, uh, he's, he's a little bit one-dimensional, obviously, and um, if you've seen any, any amount of him playing, you can see that. And I think he brings a little bit of grit, a little bit of sandpaper to the game. Uh, I'm sure teammates appreciate him and, uh, you know, affectionately, uh, you know, are, are, or are affectionate towards him for that. And I'm sure uh, McClellan has his place for him and his role for him against uh, different opponents. I'm sure maybe we'll probably see some of him in Vegas, toe to toe with Reeves. Uh, but I don't know how long that's going to last either, right? I just, in my personal opinion, I'm over the really quote unquote sandpaper gritty defenseman. I don't mind if it's part of their game, but for McDermott, that's only his game. So, in in my opinion. The NHL, the league has moved on from this type of guy. And I, I kind of feel like it's it's trying to force something. It, it, you're trying to shoehorn this thing in, and it's not really a thing anymore. That's what I, I mean, at first I wasn't excited about Bjornfoot because I was like, oh, great. He's another defenseman who can't score any points. But Actually, I don't mind his game because I feel like that's exactly what the Kings need. Because you need a guy like Dowdy and you need a guy like Martinez, both of whom can score and both of whom are expected to score. And um, you got a little bit of that also in Sean Walker. Um, Matt Roy, I feel like, is kind of more of that tweener guy. that Kind of more like, not... A, a gritty sandpaper type, a, a little bit more like Bjornfoot, more of a stay-at-home defenseman, more of somebody who will just shut down the opponent every night. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking for from somebody like McDermott or from Ryan. And they both just, neither of them do that. Yeah. Um, and I ultimately, it's, it's going to be up to, to T-Mac to figure out who is going to stay within the next few games. Um, but that even leads us to, there's a wealth of talent in Ontario, especially on that blue line. And there are some younger guys who have been knocking at the door, guys like Kale Clegg um, and a few others down uh, playing for the rain who just as easily could try and make some sort of a jump up, up to LA, you know, if, if T-Mac or Todd McClellan sees that, that fit. Yeah, Mikey Anderson, He, I know he still needs time because this is really his first pro season, but um, you got Mikey Anderson, Austin Strand, Paul Ledoux, Daniel Brickley, Kale Clegg, like you mentioned. Oh, I forgot uh, Sean Dersey was a thing, too. Dersey, right? Yeah, exactly. 
so so they're they're pretty loaded on the back end there um and that could breed well for the kings further on down the line again we're only three games in. it's kind of hard to believe but we're only three games in so there is still probably a lot of movement to be had and, and i could imagine one or two of those blue liners getting plucked if for some reason roy doesn't work out or mcdermott doesn't work out or Bjornfoot gets sent back to sweden in my ideal world, I would definitely waive probably half this roster. <laughs> I mean, half their half their defense. Like, I don't Ben Hutton. He's a little bit too inconsistent, and I know he has to relearn a new system and everything. But from what I've heard, he's <laughs> well, he's not very good. <laughs> and from what I've seen, I can appreciate how they came to that opinion. Um, like I said, you know, Ryan McDermott, like if those guys were, were gone and Bjornfoot is set, sent back, I would definitely love to see how Paul Ledoux can do under a coach that knows what he's doing. Like as much as I love John Stevens, because John Stevens really is one of the most brilliant defensive minds in the league. And I, I think that his defense is really like unparalleled to anybody else. He just couldn't quite put that together with offense. And so everybody was always a little bit lost under him and poor Paul Ledoux. I mean, he came up at really the wrong time in in my opinion. So I, I really would be interested to see if Todd McClellan can do anything with him or what he can do with him. And he had a really nice quote about Ledoux when he was sent to waivers. He said, it's really kind of not fair because he hasn't had any chance to play during the um, during the preseason because, he, unfortunately, he was injured. Yeah, and I think he might just be getting sheltered right now in Ontario for that injury. I think he's – it's hard to tell, but I feel like at this point, um, through the experience that he's had and, and uh, through what you know little time he has played with the Kings, he's, he's more than, I think, earned his stripes and earned his, uh, you know – uh, at least uh, his roster spot or his healthy scratch roster spot, however you want to put it, however he gets onto that roster, I think that there's a chance, or I think at least he he deserves that chance to be up here. And not only because, you know, he's been a part of the, the Kings program and he's kind of gone up through, um, and again, like you said, a little bit at the wrong time, but because he does have a, a unique skill set as a little bit more offensive-minded defenseman who isn't afraid to really get up into the play and kind of he's, he's kind of that new age or not new age, but definitely that more offensive minded defenseman who can still move the puck, but he's not, you know, uh, a bad defender by any means. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people disagree with that, but I, I agree. I really don't think that he sees a bad defender and I definitely would love to see people who are more offensive minded come up. So Well, let's wrap this up because we've been going for almost half an hour now. Um, So we got Nashville and Vegas this weekend. There's definitely no love lost between Vegas and the Kings. So what are you? (laughs) Uh, We have also our old friend, Brayden McNabb, who has suddenly turned into a world-class sniper with Vegas not irritating at all (laughs) no no not whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) um got any predictions for the game um 
I mean, I think the the easiest prediction I could kind of throw out there is that the, the, it's going to be pretty physical, <laughs> is what I could imagine. <laughs> um, as far as who's going to win and who's going to take home the win, who's going to leave with the loss, um, I'm not entirely sure. I would I would give the nod to Vegas in the sense that they're coming off. Uh, they're right now. I believe they have two wins and one loss, so they got. Four points, uh, four points in their pocket. They're, I believe, third right now in the Pacific. And it obviously, again, it's still very early for all of this. Um, but they're going to play Arizona, I believe, before they play us. And, you know, depending on how well they do there, how tired they, they get well after they play Arizona, I, I feel like Vegas has a pretty good shot at, at taking the Kings down. Um, but also, it is our second, it's going to be our second home game. So who knows? Um, I feel like there, there's definitely a possibility either way, which isn't a fun prediction. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, Vegas's offense is is going to do a number on our inexperienced defense. I think it, that that's my best estimation. You know, I just realized that there's there's somebody missing from our conversation, or somebody that we haven't discussed yet, and he's quite possibly one of the most polarizing players in the fan base. Jonathan Quick. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I had him as a low light just because man, this yeah, over these past three games, the two games he played, he gave up what fourteen goals, I think, in total. Yep. Um, and that is tough to stomach because as a Kings fan, obviously you know him as the Jonathan Quick who's a trophy winner or uh William Jennings, Con Smythe, a two time Stanley Cup guy. And to play like that, it's just so tough to kind of see him play like that. It seems like he's not back at 100% or he's kind of slowly easing into the season. But I don't know how well this bodes for uh, for Quickie after the first three games. Would you, at this point in time, start Campbell more often? I wouldn't. Only because, again, we're we're still so early into the season. I feel like Quick, maybe you know, age is catching up to him. I'm I'm not sure what it is. Maybe he's just not quite fixated into his his role yet, or not his role, but into the season yet. Um, I would give him a little bit more time to kind of warm up to everything, and I think he's going to be playing a little bit more like himself probably in the next few games because he's not going to be happy after giving up six and then giving up eight. That is a good point. And, and he is a, a fearsome competitor. He is definitely one of the most competitive players on the team. He gets very down on himself when he, well, when he sucks. Um, I mean, like when he went, like he did it against Vancouver, but I'm very intrigued to see what, McClellan is going to do because he's been known to ride his number one goaltender. So he's a little bit old school, but clearly Jonathan Quick can't handle that. Campbell is definitely a competent goalie who can really, really shut it down. I mean, those three goals that were against him in, in Calgary, they weren't his fault. I mean, his team basically abandoned him and in my opinion, but like I said, I don't think Quick can really handle playing 62 games in a year. The Kings have such a tough schedule coming up in really 
through the end of the calendar year of 2019. I mean, they're, I was checking out their November schedule. It's equally as packed as, as October. And then December is worse. December, I think they have like three games, three games. Like they, they, I think they have like four or five days off. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's, they just have such a crazy schedule in December. They're playing every single weekend in December, and they have three back-to-backs. Boy. Yeah, I think by that time, we're going to have a better idea, or at least the, the Kings coaching staff and, and Todd and the rest of the team, even the fan base, will have a better idea of who's really going to be manning the crease for the rest of the season. So I think obviously by that point, uh, it probably won't be a matter of who's going to be there or who should be starting more. I think it'll kind of already be set by that point. And my odds are that it probably will be Soupy back there, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> All right. I won't tell the fan base. You just said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's bring it back to um, Predators. They have a really good goalie in Pecorine. The Kings have historically struggled against the Predators just forever. They're, they're, the games against Nashville also tend to be, at least previously, they tended to be quite dull because they turned into defensive chess matches. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was boring. But lately, the Predators have become very fun to watch. They're high-flying. They're very offensive-minded. And you never quite know what team you're going to get on any given night, which as a fan looking outside, that's great for me because some nights they'll, they'll give up five goals, but score six goals, you know? Um, But other nights they'll be like two to one and you don't quite know which Pecorino you're going to get either. Nashville fans, not, you know, not loving it, but (laughs) It is a back-to-back weekend. Who do you think starts in net? Uh, I think they're going to give uh, Quick the start. And they're going to give him the nod um, because he's again, like I said, he's going to be uh, he's going to be starting off off of a he's going to be coming off some tough games, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a confidence builder for him um, in Nashville. And they save Soupy for uh, for Vegas. I like it. Any prediction of what might happen in the game? I'm not entirely sure. I'm actually kind of excited to see how uh, Duchesne plays. Uh, who knows? He, he might, might get a get goal. A goal. <laughs> it looks like he <laughs> only has he a has at this point, but he's still leading the team in points with six. Uh, and that was a pretty good trade in the offseason, but that's a whole other story. Um, and I'm just kind of excited to see if it is one of those more chess-matchy, defensive-type games, because I don't think... That is a little bit what we're used to seeing as as Kings fans, especially historically against the Predators. Um, but with this new system kind of in place, I, I'm genuinely curious to kind of see what what the Kings will do against uh, a pretty solid defense um, in in Nashville. All right, I like it. Well, Dimitri, I'd love to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. We'll see how the season turns out. Hopefully, it's a good one, very entertaining one. Yeah, absolutely. As long as the fans, you know, hopefully the fans are excited. They're getting more goals 
And, you know, they're getting faster pace of play, some younger players, some new fresh faces, and things are starting to turn over for the Kings. And I think as a fan, you you have to enjoy that, but it, you have to also understand that it's going to come with some of these growing pains. Um, and you have to kind of realize, and I feel like put your estimations into the fact that, like, we were not great last year. And adding young players is not going to, you know, revamp or change us into – you know, playoff contenders. I'm not saying it's not possible. I mean, we're only three games in, but uh, it's it just needs to be you know warranted that that you know who who knows what's going to happen. Still, the book is yet to be written on this season. Again, we're only a couple games in, but um, it's definitely going to come with some growing pains. Maybe some more tough games like the ones in some some more close games like the one in Edmonton. Some more tough games like the one in Vancouver. Um, but definitely. Who knows? We'll see. Hopefully, at least it's going to be entertaining. We're going to see some more goals under a new system and a new head coach. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again, and uh, you have a good one. You too, Robin. Thanks for having me.